Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. CloudBees, the enterprise software delivery company, provides the industry's leading DevOps technology platform. CloudBees enables developers to focus on what they do best, build stuff that matters, while providing peace of mind to management with powerful risk mitigation, compliance, and governance tools. Hey everyone, it is a Friday and it is time for another recording. By the time you listen to this, it may not be a Friday, but it's Friday where we are and we are so excited for our discussion today with Anders Walgren of CloudBees. Anders, great to see you today. Anders is Vice President of Technology Strategy at CloudBees. Great to be here. Always a pleasure to chat with you folks and uh, looking forward to our talking today. Our topic is software delivery in the enterprise. But before we get started, Anders, I have one question for you. What was the first computer science course you took at MIT? That was 1985. I looked it up. (laughs) The first computer science course I took is the same one that everybody took at the time, which was known as 6001, because everything at MIT is numbers. Majors are numbers, classes are numbers, buildings are numbers. You could put a gun to my head and I couldn't tell you what the name of the course was, but it was 6001. The book had just come out the year before everybody got the book as a loose leaf set of things. Gerald Sussman was one of the professors. I forget who the other professor was, to be honest. And it was taught in Scheme, which is a variety of lists. It was just a launch into the deep end of computer science. The interesting thing about MIT is they don't really teach you the language. They assume you figure that out on your own. Huh. So it's, it's not the kind of thing where, where you take, you know, oh, today we're going to learn Pascal or, you know, today we're going to learn C. They say, no, we're going to do computer science. And we happen to be using this thing called Scheme. So you better go learn that. Wow. So <laughs> it was a little bit uh, a jump into the deep end, but a really fascinating course. Great fun, if I can say that. So what happened to Scheme? You know, I think the same thing that happened to Lisp in general, which is it's really good and really interesting for teaching and for learning and especially for doing functional languages and learning how to do the Lambda calculus and those sorts of things. But it's just not a practical language for doing other stuff. As much as I love functional languages and how terse and how economical they can be in the expression of things and especially their approach to immutability of data and those sorts of things. Doing most useful things requires procedural approaches. It's not a practical language, in my experience, for writing stuff that you're going to sell and that's useful and those sorts of things. Not to say the language isn't useful, but clearly a lot of it has bled into various other languages over the years. Smalltalk probably got the farthest in terms of popularizing the Lisp family of languages. Caught on a little bit there in the kind of the late 80s, early 90s, but haven't really seen it very much lately, I got to say. Well, our topic today is continuous delivery release automation. Things have changed a little bit. So I know Job has some questions. Job, why don't you kick it off? All right, terrific. What prompted this podcast was a report that had come out from Forrester, the research firm. It was called the Forrester Wave Continuous Delivery and Release Automation for Q2 2020. And Forrester recognized CloudBees as a CDRA leader which is uh, perhaps not surprising because they're certainly a leader in continuous delivery. And uh, we're kind of curious, what is continuous delivery release automation? According to Forrester, it allows teams to deliver better quality software faster and more safely. There's a whole bunch that the report goes in about the market and the reasons behind it, but uh, we want to kind of hear CloudBee's point of view of what's happening there. 
Let me kick it off with a question to you, Anders. What is CDRA and how is it an advancement over the CICD that we all know? I think ultimately they're all part of the same thing, right? Which is, what are the means by which we deliver our software? How do we go from commit to customer? It's continuous integration, it's continuous delivery, continuous deployment, continuous testing, all of these things. The elevator pitch, I would say, now that I'm sort of four paragraphs into my answer, I I get to the elevator pitch, is really, if you think about value stream management, if you think of your value stream, CDRA is really about making your value stream executable and visible on an ongoing kind of real-time basis. And so it's taking all of the things, all of the activities, all of the tools, all of the platforms, all of the software, everything that you do to build, test, qualify, deploy, release your software and automating that. Ideally, I mean, our point of view is one platform, kind of over-the-top orchestration, tying together all the islands of automation that you already have. You know, typically, we're fairly reasonable as an industry at doing continuous integration and automating that. But then there's about 58 other things that you have to do to your software before it's ready to go live on the website or get burned into the chip and dropped into the box and those sorts of things. And so CDRA is really just an acknowledgement that there are still release activities that most large mature software companies engage in. We're not yet quite living in a world where I compile the software on my laptop and then two minutes later it's in production. Surely that's the truth for a very small percentage of us and we're definitely getting closer to that. But there are, as I said, you know, 58 other steps that most of us go through to get to the point where we're ready to unleash that wonderful new functionality on the world. So I'm kind of curious, what are these additional release activities and why did they spring up apart from the standard CI-CD process? Is this a case of different teams like security doing different security? What's happening there? Or is this just a move towards automating larger chunks of the whole release cycle? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. It's all-encompassing. Security scans, software composition analysis, static analysis, runtime analysis, You can even throw penetration-type testing activities in there. Anything that you do around the building and testing and qualification of the software, user acceptance. In the case of organizations, especially that are in regulated industries, so finance, healthcare, automotive, aerospace, defense, those sorts of things, you're regulated, right? So you have to be auditable, you have to be governable, you have to be controllable. My point of view is automation is auditing. I think when you dig down beneath all the details of things like audits and controls, it comes down to document what you do and prove that you did what you documented. And an automation definition is a form of documentation, especially these days, as most of them now are being done as code. It's really gathering up all those sort of bits and bobs. And as you said, sort of other organizations, other departments, other functions, and bringing them out of the the silos and onto the big factory conveyor belt that we're all going to use to get our software out the door the right way. Now, I know we've been hearing a lot of discussion around how to bring security into the DevOps process, DevSecOps. And right now, I guess a lot of people are feeling frustration and that security comes in at the tail end and says, no, this dependency has a vulnerability or no, this is wrong. Would CDRA help kind of integrate security more seamlessly into the CICD process? Absolutely. Getting automation and orchestration around those kinds of things, security scanning being a great example, is a big part of any sort of shift left movement that you want to do. Shift left has been maybe not overused, but well used over the years. And you can no more add security to a piece of software on its way out the door than you can add flavor to a dish on the way from the kitchen to the table, right? You either bake (laughs) the flavor in from the beginning, the way that you bake the security in 
throughout your whole process, right? We have all these sort of dysfunctions in the software industry. And, and the notion that we can add security at the end, that we can add performance at the end, that we can add quality at the end. What we've learned through Agile, through DevOps, DevSecOps, all of these things is that that doesn't work. And what these processes, cultural changes, tooling changes around Agile, DevOps, and so on, what they really have taught us is that all of these things have to be baked in from the beginning. And you can't just sprinkle the security on as it leaves the door. That doesn't work. Taking a step back from that, orchestrating and automating all of these things in one end-to-end flow allows you to see where you're doing things, to see where you're dropping the ball, to see where mistakes are being made, where delays are being introduced, where cycle times can be improved, all of those sorts of things. And it gives you a level of abstraction where you can say, hey, you know, if we do this scan two steps earlier in our process, right, then we can avoid doing this very other expensive thing that we would have to repeat if we subsequently get to the point where we decide, oh, the security scan said we have a vulnerability. This is all theory of constraints kind of things. You know, if, if you've read Goldratt's The Goal or Gene Kim's books, you know, you know sort of all about this. But this is the nuts and bolts of that, making sure that we do things in the right order, in the order that makes sense in terms of where we catch the most mistakes the earliest and, and in the cheapest possible fashion. That's really what it's geared towards. In an organization that wants to enact this CDRA, who would be in charge of doing this? It seems like if it's spanning different departments, is this something that really kind of needs to be initiative from the CTO on down? Is it the head of developers? When you start talking CDRA, who do you talk to about setting it up in the organization? It varies, but it's very often going to be higher up in the organization, especially if it is a large organization with hundreds of teams, hundreds of services, thousands of developers, you're going to have to climb up a little bit in the organization to get to the point where you have the ability to invest in what is essentially a service. This is a service the same way that continuous integration is a service. And you don't necessarily want every single team to go build their own and to go deploy their own and to run it their own way and and not be able to share best practices, not be able to integrate with the visibility that we want to provide across the organization, across products, all of those sorts of things. So very often there'll be a services organization, an IT services organization that is in charge of running these things. Um, Sometimes they're an important part of selecting the platforms used for this. But the most successful transformations involving employing CDRA are done with the input and the work of all the stakeholders, right? You need developers, you need QA, you need security, you need operations, you need product management, you need all the stakeholders that are attached to the value stream of that software to ultimately be a participant in that so that you can get that true end-to-end visibility, true end-to-end automation and orchestration so that at a glance, literally, you can see where you are and where you're stuck and gather all the data that you can then use for analytics and retrospectives on where we can do better and and predictions on how we can improve things in the future, all of those sorts of things. It it creates kind of a virtual cycle once you start to do this kind of stuff. You get a lot of data across your organization that tells you how well you're doing and what you can be better at, uh, those sorts of things. So one of the questions I have is about what you were saying before about security. And now it's CDRA, you're talking about how you need to have buy-in from engineering management and need to get all the stakeholders in at the beginning. How are you addressing security then in that context? Because the question I am having lately is security is not meant to be automated. It never was meant to be automated. I'm sure when you were at MIT, you weren't learning how security was automated. You were just learning about the code. Yeah, security can't be automated any more than writing 
functional code can be automated, right? This is a fundamentally a creative endeavor, right? This is something where we come together as engineers, as product managers, as quality people, security people, and, and we create something that didn't exist before. And that is not something generally that's automatable. So that's absolutely right. From the point of view of how do you write secure software, how do you make sure that the software that's going out the door is secure, there are a lot of tools that you can bring to bear on that, right? And using a tool and then automating the use of that tool doesn't mean that you're really automating the security itself. These things are really safety nets. So if we do a code scan to look for possible buffer overflows or, or those sorts of things, the scan might be automated, right? But what you do to fix it is not. And what you did to write it in the first place, assuming that it had a problem that got hit, these are just tools. It's not automatic any more than me using a hammer means that I'm automatically hammering in a nail. But a good hammer will make a difference. It's also a cultural mindset, right? Because quality is no more the responsibility of the quality assurance team than security is the sole responsibility of the security team. Quality and security is everybody's responsibility. It does us no good to make sure that, you know, all of our third-party libraries are as vulnerability-free as, as they can be if the code that we write is terrible and, you know, doesn't use the proper encryption at rest, encryption in, in transit, you know, all of those sorts of things. There's practices that we have to learn and we have to do more and better teaching of this in schools or wherever people go to get their education for how to write software and then apply those practices and give teams the right tooling, the right culture, the right space, the right time to come up with the right solution. And then you don't know on day one, on your first day of I'm a software engineer, you don't know how to do a lot of these things. They're not necessarily always kind of taught directly in schools. A lot of this happens through osmosis, through apprenticeship. I mean, there aren't really formal apprenticeships in the software industry, but there certainly are informal ones. And as you work with your peers and you learn and, and you see what's done in the industry and, and all of those sorts of things. But it's really about... Let's think of quality and security as a first-class feature of the product, the same way that the user experience and the design and the performance and the reliability of, of the software are also first-class features of the software. This isn't something where, yeah, we just run a bunch of scans at the end and therefore we're secure. That isn't a thing. People think that's a thing still, but that isn't a thing. You know, you got to build this in from the beginning. So what are some of the experiences you can recall where people really got creative? Well, it's funny. I mean, in, in my career, I would say the, the most creative stuff that I've seen in terms of how people use software is, is back when I used to work in Macromedia during the, the multimedia heyday. But that's not terribly relevant to software stuff. But one of the things you hear quite a lot is, you know, we can build a bridge in a certain amount of time. And why is it so difficult to release software on time? And I think the analogy breaks down a little bit there because there is a creative aspect to software. There's definitely an aspect to it, which is we're going to write something today that didn't exist yesterday. Not all software is that way, right? If I'm adding yet another feature to a mature product that's running in a mature technology stack that's been proven and so on, there's less creative aspects to that. It's really a little bit more about craftsmanship. Are we using the tools that we've learned how to use in the best way and those sorts of things? And I think where you see creativity applied are, here's a good example that I'll throw out, the shift to containers and Kubernetes as a way of operationalizing applications, I think is an incredibly creative shift that we're going through, right? This notion that what we're going to do is we're going to take a process and its dependencies and its configuration. I'm going to wrap that up in an artifact that we can pass around that is an immutable artifact, if we choose to treat it that way, and that we can then 
have the process and all its requirements travel along with each other instead of, say, writing an installer, right? We don't write installers anymore. We write containers and we write Helm charts and those sorts of things. They really become the way that we do installs these days. And to me, that's a very creative approach to the problem. I mean, as the survey that Forrester did as part of this, as, as they note, 70% of the survey respondents still rely primarily on virtual machines. So while there is definitely shift to containers and Kubernetes and those sorts of things. It's an and, not an or. So containerization is just yet another technology stack that we're adding to our toolbox. We're not retiring VMs because I'm sure we would like to. However, retiring technology stacks is just incredibly difficult because the things they run on, you can't just sort of plop them into a container and expect them to work the same way that they used to when they were deployed as VMs which is why still there's a high usage of things like mainframes, right? We make jokes about mainframes. And one of my favorite customers says, my junior mainframe engineer is 75 years old with a straight face because it's a true statement. But those are there because they solve a particular problem. They are incumbent and that you don't necessarily go rewrite all the software in the world every time a new technology shows up anymore then we go, you know, tear down all buildings every year because there's a new fire code or a new building code, right? We may adapt some buildings if there are serious enough issues, but we don't tear down every building every year just because the building code changes. You know, we continue to live in them. We continue to work in them. We continue to use in them. And software is the same way. Scarcity is real in the world, right? First law of economics. And software doesn't just get rewritten because we have a shiny new tool, a shiny new platform that we can run the new stuff on. It takes decades, it takes generations for technology platforms to completely age out. Terrific. A hypothetical example, say I'm a shop and I'm running Jenkins or I may be running the CloudBees enterprise platform, but I got my CI CD down pretty well. What would be the next steps to move to CDRA? And are there prerequisites? Are there certain technologies I need to use? to rope in these other aspects. Just walk me through the process of moving from CI/CD to that next step. The way I would think about it is you're not moving from CI/CD to that next step. You're adding in the next step. And you probably have most of all the technologies and tools that you use already. Because a large part of what we're doing here is, I think I referred to this earlier, the islands of automation that we have out there, right? So we've got you know, CI tooling that we're using on the developer end of, of Spectrum. We've got deployment technologies that we're using on the other end as we go into production. And if you're a reasonably mature organization, you're probably using those same deployment methodologies as you're testing. You need to deploy your application for testing and staging and those sorts of things. And th those are the tools they use there. So, so a large part of it is really just about tying those islands together and giving you one system of record, one pane of glass, lots of trite uh, sayings, but it's kind of true, where you can get the ability into the end-to-end -end -end aspect of this. You're not replacing what you have today. A lot of times you're just tying things together and making sure that when you look at your value stream, where you have gaps in your automation, in your orchestration, where you have manual processes that take over or manual approval processes. This is another thing because a side effect of CDRA very often, in particular in, in the regulated industries, is we collect a lot of the metadata and a lot of the evidence that's required then for you to pass your audit and your governance controls, right? And throw a layer of security on top of that so that the right people see the right things and aren't allowed to change things that they're not allowed to change and all of those sorts of things. So it's really about tying all of these things together. It's not about replacing anything. It's filling in the gaps and building bridges, if you will, integrations between all the various systems so that you can get all the important data and control all the important automations and orchestrations from one place. So you get that end-to-end -end visibility and control that, uh, that we all want, that we all need. To incorporate these additional sources of metadata, 
is this something that can be done strictly from the CloudBees platform? Or is there like a plug-in or what tools are we talking about from the CloudBees perspective? It's a little bit of both. So, you know, in our case with our CDRA platform, it's integrations and plugins. And there's one for everything under the sun. We've seen tremendous success, obviously, with the plugin architecture and ecosystem in Jenkins. And the same holds true for the CDRA platform that came along with the Electric Cloud acquisition a couple of years ago. And really there, it's about being able to talk to all the other systems that are out there and tie things together. So your issue tracking system, your ticketing systems, your change management systems, your deployment systems, your CI systems, artifact management, databases, anything, basically anything under the sun that needs to participate in the pipeline or pipelines that cause your software to flow from commit to customer is fair game and typically available as integrations. And that also includes very often in-house tooling that our customers have built that we have to build integrations to or plugins for. So, you know, there's an SDK for doing that and, and those sorts of things. Because our point of view is we definitely come in with the idea that we're going to be the Uber orchestrator, but we also realize that we fit into an existing ecosystem here and we're equally as capable of being driven as we are to drive. So everything has an API, everything is available through REST, everything is available through the join specific language. So you can literally do your entire CDRA pipeline, you know, end-to-end, everything, environment management, deployment, CI, all of those things as code, which is very powerful and leads to all kinds of good behaviors right now. You have code that you can test and you can document and you can do change management on itself. You know, and since everything in life is sort of turtles all the way down, you can have a CD process for your CD process, which we do have customers who do that, believe it or not. So. Wow. So CDRA is not just this term that Forrester came up with and handed down to us for all of us to use. It sounds like this was already happening in the Jenkins community with the additional plugins. Organizations were already moving in that direction, it sounds like. Yeah, it's really putting a name to something that we all have to do. We all have various amounts of skill and energy and time and resources that we put to it. And really, I, I think part of it is, you know, and I return to this time and again, is it's, it's really taking your value stream, making it visible, making it executable, and giving you the layer of abstraction that you need around being able to talk about it and change it and treat it as a real thing. So that you can start to kind of move the boxes around, right? Oh, if we do this scan a little bit earlier, that means all the kind of stuff that I talked about earlier, that you really get that, that big picture view of what you're up to. A couple more questions. I know we should wrap up, but I have so many questions. But you were talking about the reporting mechanism, about the fact that you're getting all this governance data. I don't know if this is coming through through a portal or if there's other ways of getting at this data, but what additional forms of data are you getting from the CDRA process that might have been difficult to collect beforehand? It's somewhat all-encompassing in a way, right? Because it'll be the sort of the obvious things of, okay, we had a gate that you have to pass through as you transition from this stage to that stage. You know, as you're going to go into, say, staging, as we exit the stage before staging, (laughs) if I can say that, we have certain requirements, right? We have to have run this kind of test and it has to have passed. And oftentimes what you'll do is everybody will sit down in a room and you'll do it through sort of what's called attestation. You know, I raise my hand and I say, we did this, I promise, right? What we're able to do with the platform like CDRA A, we can do that automatically, right? So we can interrogate whatever that testing system is because we probably orchestrated the testing of it. So we can pull back the results and say, oh, the value that we're looking for to be above this threshold, it is. So we're automatically going to transition into the next stage. And at the same time, not only making that decision automatically, if it's appropriate, but also then collecting the data that we need later on to say, okay, 
we went into staging, did we do X, Y, Z? Yes. And here are the links into those systems telling you what the results were and, and all of those things. So it's that sort of thing. But then also all the way down to, did we do the security scan? Yes. Was it done with the correct configuration? Yes. Did we verify that there were no SEV1 vulnerabilities? Yes, right? So it's, it's a lot of this kind of pulling together of information that typically would have been the topic of throw it all in a spreadsheet and then we'll all look at it for a couple of hours and then, you know, we kind of give a thumbs up and then we throw that out. You know, we don't have that anymore as kind of an artifact. And every single time we do this, we have to do it again. So being able to collect all of this stuff as a side effect of the orchestration and as a side effect of touching all of these systems, I mean, you, you almost literally have it at your fingertips when you need it every time. I want to thank you so much, Anders, for coming in and talking to us. I love that story you told about the colleague of yours who talked about the junior mainframe engineer being 75 years old. I just love that. I just want to know who the senior mainframe engineer is. <laughs> that's a good one. Yep, that's a true story. And uh, Mike, if you're listening, uh, hello. <laughs> that's great. Well, in any case, thank you so much for talking with us. We didn't get to talk much about Electric Cloud, but it sounds like a lot of the practices you learned in your time at Electric Cloud are a really big part of what CloudBees is doing today. So thank you for uh, bringing your experience to us and talking about your work and these new kind of concepts that we're thinking about with continuous delivery. Oh, my pleasure. Always, always fun to talk with you guys and really enjoyed it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great. Thanks, Joe. We'll uh, talk to you soon. CloudBees, the enterprise software delivery company, provides the industry's leading DevOps technology platform. CloudBees enables developers to focus on what they do best, build stuff that matters, while providing peace of mind to management with powerful risk mitigation, compliance, and governance tools. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast to listen to more episodes of the new Stack Makers. Then create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more great stories, go to thenewstack.io.